Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 13. And in just a moment, we'll read verses 1 through 10. Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, as we continue our series in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. I call it uh, the exclamation point of God. Our nation and our entire world are filled, obviously, with increasing chaos. If you doubt that, just watch what we refer to as the news. There's no longer anything really such as unbiased news. All of the news outlets, it seems like, have become biased dispensers of primarily political propaganda. Their endless barrage of demonic content, I call it hoopla, has been poisoning our world now for several years. People all over our nation, consequently, and all over the world are becoming increasingly restless. How many of you sense that in our society? There's a restlessness that is among us. We're battling a worldwide pandemic that refuses to go away. Our economy is very fragile, whether you believe that or not. It is in a constant state of flux. It's either all the way up or coming down very quickly. It's unsettled and it's uncertain. It is increasing and there is increasing turmoil and confusion and it's binding and really debilitating people who are in places of leadership. Everyone, it seems like, is looking for someone, anyone, who has some answers. And that is exactly what it's going to be like in the day when God allows Antichrist to come to this earth. Everybody is going to be looking for somebody, anybody that's got some answers, and Satan is going to see to it that his Messiah Antichrist has the answers that will tickle their ears enough for them to embrace him and go into the final three and a half years of the great tribulation. Let's talk today about Antichrist, Satan's Messiah. I've had so many people say, when are you going to get to the Antichrist? We are here today, all right? These 10 verses. Look there with me in your Bibles. Revelation 13, beginning at verse 1. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority." I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war with him? There were given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for Forty-two months was given to him, and he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. 
It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was, has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. This is the word of the Lord. Although nobody knows for certain, personally, I believe that it's very possible that right now, Antichrist could be alive on this planet. I don't know that, but no one knows that that's not the case either. It's very possible, very possible that the Antichrist, maybe he's not, but maybe he is a young toddler. Maybe he's a teenager. Maybe he's a young man. Regardless whether he's alive yet or not, one day he will come. And when he comes, the worst time of history will be ushered in, the great tribulation. Today I want us to look at Antichrist, Satan's Messiah. First thing I want to say is this, as we look at our text in verse 1, the source of of Antichrist power, the source of his power. Where does this man get his power? Well, we see it in verse 1. And the dragon, underline that, stood on the sand of the seashore. John is on the island of Patmos. I've been there twice. I've been in the cave where he had this vision. And he saw the dragon. The dragon was standing on the seashore And we know beyond a shadow of a doubt who the dragon is. We saw him in the previous chapter, chapter 12. Look at verses, over back in chapter 12, look at verses 3 and 4. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, that is Israel, who was about to give birth, giving birth to the Messiah, Israel did, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Now, who was this? We see it a little bit more in Revelation 12. Look down at verses 7 through 9. And there was war in heaven, Michael, that's the archangel, and his angels, those are the good guys, waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels, those are the demons, waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels, that is demons, were thrown down with him. The dragon is none other than Satan himself, and he is the one that gives power to Antichrist. In Revelation 12, he had been kicked out of heaven permanently. God's archangel, Michael, and the good angels kicked him out. and Satan and his demons fell to this earth. And when he landed, he will have only three and a half years left to do what the devil does, and that is to steal, kill, and destroy before the glorious return in the second coming of Jesus. Immediately after Satan 
will be thrown down to the earth. He is going to stand on the seashore looking out in the sea of wickedness and sinfulness and call out of the abyss, the bottomless pit, the Antichrist. And we see that as we continue to read in verse 1. Then I saw a beast, that's the Antichrist, coming up out of the sea. Satan, the dragon, is standing at the seashore and he's beckoning out of the abyss for the beast, the Antichrist, to rise up. He is calling the beast to come out of the sea. Sea here is the sea, S-E-A, is representing the realm of wickedness, sinfulness, the evil, and out of the abyss, the beast rises up. We read about him coming out of the abyss back in chapter 11 in verse 7. The Bible says, when they, the two witnesses that were like uh, Moses and Elijah, they were preaching in Jerusalem. When they have finished their testimonies, the beast, the Antichrist, that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. John saw the beast, the Antichrist, coming out of this wicked sea of evil mankind, and he was coming out literally of the abyss as he approached. John saw this coming. Now, the first person ever to see the Antichrist was the Old Testament prophet Daniel. I want to remind you of something. Daniel prayed three times a day for about 70 years. Look at me. When you pray three times a day for 70 years, God's going to talk to you. Amen? God doesn't have people praying like that nowadays. I think that one of the reasons the church is so messed up, Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer for all the people. And we don't pray like we should. We sure don't pray three times a day for 60 or 70 years. If we had more people that would spend more time with God in real prayer, I believe God would do more in our world. Anyway, Daniel saw, because he was so close to God, he saw Antichrist in Daniel 7, 25. He says he, talking about Antichrist, will speak out against the Most High, that's God, and will wear down the saints, that's the people of God, of the highest one, and he will intend to make alterations in times and in law. He's going to change the laws of the land from good laws to bad laws, and he will be given into his hand. It, they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. That's referring to three and a half years. Antichrist is going to blaspheme the name of God. He's going to persecute the people of God, and he's going to change the laws of God change them from good laws, and he's going to come up with some bad laws for three and a half years. There's going to be chaos, just like we're experiencing today, only on steroids, much more severe during the time of the beast. The Apostle Paul also prophetically saw the beast and what it would be like when he came. He says in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4, he, he was telling them, uh, there's going to come a time after the rapture, after the great tribulation, that Jesus will come back at the second coming. But it's not going to come until Antichrist comes before Christ comes back at the second coming. He says, let no one in any way deceive you, for it, the second coming of Jesus, not the rapture, the second coming, it will not come until, unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness, there he is. That's the Antichrist, lawlessness lawlessness is revealed. The son of destruction, he bears the resemblance 
of his father, the devil, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Antichrist will be the man of lawlessness. He's going to change all the good laws into bad laws. He's going to be the son of destruction, just like his father. Satan has come, Jesus said, to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the same agenda, the exact same agenda as the Antichrist. He will outlaw the worship of any other god, and he will claim to be God himself, and he will demand that all the world will worship him. Satan has always desired to be God. He has always desired to be worshiped as God, and somehow God is going to allow him to be worshiped by lost people on this earth the last three and a half years of the great tribulation. Satan will anoint his Messiah. He will anoint the Antichrist. And don't you think that Antichrist is going to be some weirdo? No, he's going to be charming. He's going to be bright. He's probably going to be built and very handsome and all of that. He's going to be cunning, but he is going to be a deadly tyrant. He's going to reel people in, and then he's going to destroy this earth and our economy and everything else. He'll promise peace, but he will bring anything but peace. He'll bring chaos and trouble. He'll be fully obsessed with himself and fully possessed by the devil, Satan himself. Revelation 13 verse 1 says that Antichrist resembles his father, Satan. Revelation 13 verse 1 says the dragon stood up on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. And notice the Antichrist having ten horns, that is, he's very strong, and seven heads, he's very wise. And on his horns were ten diadems. He's going to be a ruler over much territory. And on his heads were blasphemous names. He is going to be someone who is constantly blaspheming God. Satan is described almost exactly like that back in Revelation 12, verse 3. It says, Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having what? seven heads, ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. One day Satan is going to anoint Antichrist as his sinful Messiah, and he will have all the power of the devil flowing through him. Just like Satan, Antichrist is going to appear as an angel of light. He's going to have everybody's solution for everybody's problem in the world. He's got a solution for the economy. He's got a solution for Israel and the Jews. He's got a solution for everybody out there. He's going to explain away the rapture. He's going to explain away why all these people have left the earth. He's got all the answers for everybody for all time. He's going to say that, and just like Satan, he's going to appear as an angel of light, but he's got a satanic soul that is dark and disastrous for the world. The source of Antichrist power will be none other than Satan himself. Notice, secondly, the strength of Antichrist person. I want to tell you, he's likened to three extremely strong animals. Notice what it says in verse 2, and the beast, that's the Antichrist, which I saw was like a leopard. I've seen a leopard. I've seen one in the Serengeti. Look at me. You don't want to mess with a leopard. They're fast. And his feet were like those of a bear. I've seen a bear in the Smoky Mountains with my windows rolled up. 
If you want to go hiking in the Smoky Mountains, that's your business, all right? I don't. I don't like bears. He's going to be strong like a bear. His mouth was like a lion. I've seen a lion. I was in a truck in the Serengeti. I wasn't walking over petting the lion. Lions will kill you, and they've got mouths that roar and intimidate you, and the devil is going to see to it that the beast has a mouth like a lion. And the dragon gave him his authority and his throne and great authority. The devil is going to give him all of his authority. Antichrist will be the most powerful earthly leader this world has ever known. He will receive supernatural strength and authority from the devil. And three kingdoms are wrapped up in these three animals that are mentioned. He will move quickly like a leopard. And we're going to see in just a moment that that was referring to Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire that moved so quickly and took over the world almost in no time at all. That's the leopard. And then he's going to be like a bear. Those are the Medo-Persians, these strong armies that come and they just destroy people. We'll see that momentarily in Daniel's prophecy. And then he's going to be, have a mouth like the mouth of a lion, ferocious. He's going to be like the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar and the other kings of Babylon. Now, where do we get all that? You say, Brother Steve, where are you finding that? I don't see that in Revelation. Well, everything you read in chapter 13, verse 2 comes right out of Daniel chapter 7. Listen to this and follow with me. And four, this is Daniel 7, verse 3 and following. And four great beasts, those beasts are representing four empires, were coming up from the sea, different from each other. The first was like a lion. Ah, first is like a lion, talking about the Babylonians, and had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a human a man, a human mind was also given to it. And another beast, a second one, resembled a bear. Ah, the second one, the Medo-Persians. And it was raised up on one side, Daniel says, and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. I just want to say that's another reason I don't go hiking in the Smokies right now. I don't want my ribs in the teeth of a bear, all right? And thus they said to it, Arise, devour much meat. After this I kept looking, and behold, another one like a leopard. Ah, there's another one. A leopard, which had on its back four wings of a, on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And that leopard, of course, is uh, Alexander the Great and the Greeks. And then he said, After this, verse 7, looking at the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful, terrifying, extremely strong. This is talking about the Roman Empire that would last for a thousand years. And it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns while I was contemplating. Now he's going to talk about the Antichrist coming out of the Roman Empire. While I was contemplating the horns, verse 8, behold, another horn, a little one, came up from it. This is the Antichrist. Three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man. Now watch. And a mouth uttering great boast. Daniel sees everything that John sees. He sees it from the other side. And John sees it from the opposite side. If you notice, they both give it in the order of the, that it happened. They give it in reverse order because Daniel saw it 
coming. So he names Babylon first, and then uh, if you're on John's side, he sees it on the other side. So he names the other the Romans first, and he, he goes from that way, and he goes back through the Medo-Persians, back through the Greeks, and all of that. If you don't understand that, talk to Drew, and he'll explain everything I just said. All right. Antichrist kingdom will be like a leopard. It's going to move quickly. This world is, look, it is a sitting duck for somebody that has all the answers. Amen? It is a sitting duck. And I'm telling you, when Antichrist, he's going to move just like Alexander the Great and the Greeks. He's going to move rapidly just like a leopard. And then his kingdom will also be strong like a bear. Nobody's going to be able to oppose him. He's going to be like the Medo-Persians with overwhelming strength. And then he's going to be like a lion. He's going to be roaring and giving out blasphemous names. We'll see about that in a moment. Just like the Babylonians had a blasphemous mouth. But then he's going to be totalitarian. He's going to be in complete domination of the whole world. Just like the fourth kingdom that Daniel saw and that John saw. And that is the Roman Empire. Friend, a beast is on his way to this earth. The Antichrist, he's going to move swiftly. You, you, you can't outrun him. He's going to move swiftly like a leopard. You, you can't overpower him. He's going to be as strong as a bear. You can't intimidate him. He's going to be ferocious like a lion. And you won't be able to ignore him or dismiss him. He's going to be universal, a totalitarian ruler, just like the Roman emperors were. And that, my friend, is the strength of antichrist person. Notice thirdly now the scheme of antichrist pretense. Oh, he is going to be a trickster. He is going to be someone who is absolutely an impersonator and imitator. He's going to be a copycat. Look at verse 3. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. You know the devil is a copycat. He's going to have his false trinity in the end. Satan himself wants to be like God the Father. Antichrist will be like God the Son. And next Sunday, a week from today, I'm going to talk about the false prophet who will demand that everybody bows to the beast, the Antichrist, and take the mark of the beast if you want to be in any way have any type of way of spending money and buying things, you got to have the mark of the beast. And we'll talk about that next week. But that's the, the, the ungodly trinity. You've got the devil wants to be God. You've got the Antichrist wants to be Jesus. And you've got the false prophet that wants to be the Holy Spirit. We'll read more about that next week. But this Antichrist somehow is going to appear like, I believe, I don't believe he's really going to die, but I believe he's going to appear like he died and then miraculously rise from the dead. What's he doing? He's imitating Jesus Christ. He's a huckster. He is a copycat. He's an impersonator. And somehow, even if he does rise from the dead, it will be a fraudulent, deceptive move. Look at verse 3, and the whole earth is going to be amazed and follow after the beast, the Antichrist. They will worship the dragon, that is the devil, because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, the Antichrist, saying, Who is like the beast? And who is able to wage war with him? Do you remember when the devil tempted Jesus Christ in the wilderness? How many of you have ever read that in your Bible? It's in Matthew chapter 4, and it's also in Luke chapter 4. 
And the devil, in one of those temptations, tempted Jesus and said, come here, I want to show you all the kingdoms of my world, my evil world system. And he took him up and he showed him all the kingdoms in a moment of time. He said, ah, all of this, Jesus is mine. I know you want to be a king. I'll make you my king. I'll make you my Messiah. Why don't you just bow down and worship me and all of this will be yours. And Jesus said, get behind me, devil. Get behind me, devil. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus said no to the offer, but look at me. The devil's going to offer the same thing to Antichrist, and Antichrist is going to take it. He's going to take that, that, that wicked, evil world system, and he is going to serve where Jesus refused to serve. Verse 3, everyone on earth who doesn't have his name or her name written in the Lamb's Book of Life will worship the beast. They will all worship the beast. They will worship also, verse 4 says, the dragon who will empower the beast. And for three and a half years, Satan will finally get his wish, if you will. He will be empowered and people will worship him. He's desired it for so long. They're going to worship him through his false Messiah, the Antichrist. A false Messiah, a false God, Satan, will receive illegitimate false worship and they're all bound for hell. That's not the congregation you need to be part of. You need to be part of the group that loves God the Father, the real God who created the heavens and the earth, and His Son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You don't need to be filled with a false spirit, a demon spirit. You need to be filled with the Spirit of the living God. You need to know God and know that when the rapture comes, you're going up and you're not going to have to suffer through the great tribulation. That's where you need to be, the scheme of Antichrist pretense. Notice, fourthly, the sacrilege of Antichrist proclamation. Oh, does he ever have a foul mouth. How many of you ever met somebody just had a foul mouth? Anybody met anybody like that? They just said curse words all the time. I mean, just cussed all the time. Well, that's Antichrist. That's the spirit of Antichrist, by the way. Look at verse 5. There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months, that's three and a half years, the last part of the Great Tribulation, was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name in his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Antichrist is going to have a foul mouth. He's going to constantly curse God. I want to say this to you. When you curse God, when you call God's name in vain, that is one of the worst things you can do. One of the worst things you can do. And he's going to do it all the time. He's going to constantly curse God. He's going to constantly curse God's people. When you talk bad about another Christian, that's one of the worst things you can do. One of the worst things you can do. If you can't say something good about somebody, keep your mouth closed. Just be quiet. You're going to have to give an account for every word that you speak when you stand before Jesus at the judgment. Now, all of that's opposite of the praises that are going up in heaven. While on, while on earth, when Antichrist gets in control, everybody's going to be cursing everybody and cursing God and cursing Christians that got saved during the Great Tribulation, cursing the kingdom of God. Oh, they'll be worshiping and praising the beast, but they'll be cursing God and cursing Jesus But in heaven, man, they're going to be worship, we're going to be worshiping the Lord. We're going to be serving the Lord. It's going to be awesome. 
But Antichrist is going to be a megaphone. He's going to be a, 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 a malicious, malevolent megaphone for the devil. He, he is going to let the devil use him, and he's going to curse. The devil's going to curse God and Jesus and God's people through the mouth of the Antichrist. He's going to curse God, curse His name, curse His tabernacle, that is heaven, and those who dwell in it. Oh, there's a big difference. There's a big difference between spiritual light and spiritual darkness. You can see it in our world today. More and more people are cursing the name of Jesus Christ. God and His followers bless. They bless the Lord and they bless other people, but Satan and his followers curse the Lord and curse His people. God's mouth creates good things. Satan's mouth destroys good things. God's mouth encourages people, puts courage back in them, but Satan's mouth and Antichrist's mouth will discourage and take courage out of people. God's mouth edifies and builds up people, but Satan's mouth and the Antichrist's mouth will tear down people. God's mouth gives life and begets life, but Satan's mouth and Antichrist's mouth are going to beget death. You can tell what, somebody is, is, what is in somebody's heart. I've had people say, I don't know how many times I've heard, you, you don't know what's in my heart. Yes, I do. I know what's in your heart. Just let me hear you talk for a while, and I know what's in your heart. He said, well, I don't believe that. Well, Jesus said it, so it doesn't really matter what you believe, all right? Jesus said this. Watch this. Luke 6, 45, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good what? Say it out loud. Heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil what? Say it out loud. Heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Your tongue is rooted in your heart. If your heart is full of sin, sin is going to come out of your mouth. If your heart is full of cursings, cursings are going to come out of your mouth. If your heart is full of Jesus, Jesus and good things are going to come out of your mouth. If your heart is full of Jesus, blessings are going to come out of your mouth. Dr. Rogers said it this way, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. When Christ is in your heart, you speak blessings. When sin is in your heart, when Satan is in your heart, you speak curses. I'll never forget being in an Alabama game one time, and this guy behind us, Grant and I were there, was there, and Grant was probably, I don't know, 15 years old. We were in Tuscaloosa, and this guy just, you know, I'll just be frank with you. I, I get, it's harder for me to go to games because people just get drunk. They just get drunk. And people, how many of you know that people act crazy when they get drunk, amen? And so, you know, it just kind of, it's just not a good thing. And so this guy, he just kept drinking and kept drinking, and, and he kept getting more drunk. And he was just cursing, cursing, cursing. I got a 15-year-old boy there, and I'm just telling you, I, you know, I was, I was praying, oh, God, help me, oh, God, help me. Oh, oh, Lord Jesus, please help me. Don't let me blow up right here. Dear God, oh, help me. Anybody ever been there, done that? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't act so holy out there, right? So I, I, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, if he does it one more time, I'm going to do something. And he did it one more time. And I stood up, looked him right in the eye, and then raised my hands up 
and said, praise Jesus Christ. I mean, 100 people all around us. And I said, you've been cursing him the whole day. If you can curse him, I can bless him and praise him. I can bless him and praise him. Now you say, you say, Brother Steve, you shouldn't have done that. I know I probably shouldn't have done it. I probably shouldn't. But I've already repented, so don't worry about it, all right? I mean, I, I, I just telling you, though, when you curse, you, you're never more like the devil than when you curse. And you're never more like Jesus than when you bless. When you bless. The sacrilege of Antichrist proclamation. Notice number five, very quickly, the savagery of Antichrist persecution. I want to say this to you. A bloodbath is coming during the Great Tribulation. Look at verse 7. It was also given to him. God is sovereignly allowing him to make war with the saints. That's the people that have been saved during the Great Tribulation. And to overcome them. The overcomers are going to be physically overcome by Antichrist. And authority over every tribe, people, tongue, and nation was given to him. He, nobody on the planet is going to be able to run from the Antichrist. Antichrist is going to martyr multiple millions of Christians during the Great Tribulation. Yes, I know that many Christians are going to get saved. There's going to be 144,000 Jewish Christians that are going to be like the Apostle Paul going everywhere, telling people about Jesus, performing miraculous signs. People are going to get saved. They're also going to be tuning in for a while there, listening to that prophet, those two prophets out of Jerusalem that are going to be based in Jerusalem, and they're going to be so much like uh, Moses and Elijah, and many people will get saved watching them. I get all that, but even though millions will get saved, multiple millions more will not get saved, and it's going to be right and left. It's going to be a total clear distinction on who's saved and who's not. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you wait to get saved during the great tribulation, if you're not ready for the rapture, and I'm not trying to scare you, and I'm not trying to trick you, but I'm just telling you, you don't want to go through the great tribulation just because you could get saved there, because the vast majority of the people that get saved during the great tribulation are going to be tortured, and they're going to be put to death as a martyr. And you don't want that. You don't want that. It was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. It was given to them. I want to, this always... I always am blessed when I say it was given to them. You know why? The devil can't do anything without asking permission by God. Go read the book of Job. Go read about Joshua in Zechariah chapter 3 and, the, and, and see how the devil wanted to destroy them, wanted to, to kill and take Job's life. And God said, you can do this, but you can't go any farther. I got news for you. The devil is not in control. The devil is not God. God is God, and Jesus Christ is His Messiah. And there is no other power like God. The devil, the devil, if you worship the devil, you worship somebody that has to beg God for anything he wants to do. And it has to be in God's sovereign will, or God will not allow it. That doesn't mean that God is in charge of sin. It doesn't mean that every choice we make is of God, but it does mean God allows it, okay? And he only allows the devil to do certain things that fit in with his sovereign plan. We've got a bigger God than hardly anybody, well, hardly any, that anybody knows about. Verse 7, it was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. I'm telling you, there, there's going to be a great revival. The great commission is going to be fulfilled during the great tribulation. I hear some people say, well, Jesus said, 
The gospel's got to be go to the whole earth and then the end will come. That's right. The end will come. The second coming will come, but not the rapture. The rapture could come right now. Jesus could snatch us away right now. That starts the great tribulation, and the end of the great tribulation will come after the gospel has been preached to the whole world during the great tribulation. Nothing needs to take, there is not one prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before Jesus comes back in the rapture. Are you ready? If Jesus came today, if the trumpet sounded, would you be ready? Two in the field, one taken, one left. Two in the bed, one taken, one left. Two working and grinding at the mill, one taken, one left. Are you ready? The savagery of antichrist persecution. You say, Brother Steve, this is one of the worst sermons. I'm so depressed, I don't even think I can drive home. Well, let me end on a good note, all right? Let me end on a good note. Finally, note the sovereignty of God's protection. Now, before I even talk about verses 8, 9, and 10, look at me. Everybody look at me. I can't go on until you look at me. Some of y'all not looking. I got nothing to do. In no way would I ever tell you that you can't understand the Bible if you can't read Hebrew or Greek. But I will tell you this, God never wrote the Bible in English. So there is no translation that always hits it right. That's why I read multiple translations. And a lot of times, if I don't know what it's talking about, I just go back to the original. And I, can st- I, I took three years of Greek, a year of Hebrew, and I, 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 can, I can dig in it and stuff like that. I've been digging in it for 40 years. But I want to say this to you. The text we're about to look at, in my opinion, is not translated very well in the New American Standard. I've been preaching on the New American Standard for over 40 years, and most, I'd say 99 Point five percent of the time. It, to me, it's one of the best word-for-word translations there is. But I think they missed it on verses 8 and 10. And I'm going to tell you why. Because there's two ways you can interpret this and translate it, not just interpret it, but translate it from the original Greek manuscript. Let me just read it to you. This, is, this person has chosen this way, and I don't agree with the way they translated verse 8. Now, don't you leave here and say, Brother Steve didn't agree with the Bible. I do agree with the Bible, just not their translation, okay? How many of you got what I just said? Anybody? All right, the rest of you, again, call Drew. All right, verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship Him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world. Now, that phrase, from the foundation of the world, is the whole problem. It's the whole issue. In the book of the life of the Lamb who has been slain. Now, what that's what the New American Standard is saying, it took that phrase from the foundation of the world and attached it to the people whose names are in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, their names have been written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. Even before creation, even before there was a person, God supernaturally predestined them to go to heaven and wrote their name in that book. That's what it's saying in the New American Standard. Look at me. I don't believe that. I don't, but because if God predestines some to go to heaven, He has to automatically predestine some to go to hell. And look at me. God doesn't predestine people to go to hell. God doesn't say, okay, you, 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 you're going to heaven. You, 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 you're going to hell. And there's nothing you can do about it. That's not in the Bible. 
You say, well, I believe in predestination. I do too. And every time you believe in predestination, every time you see the word and the concept of predestination, you know what word you see with it? Foreknowledge. Now, there's the issue. Foreknowledge. God knows. How many of you know that God knows the future just like He knows the present? Anybody know that? Look at me. God knows who's going to repent. God knows who's going to believe. God knows that. And so for Him, it's already done. But He doesn't predestine it. God knows who's going to sin, but God doesn't predestine sin. God doesn't predestine rape. God doesn't predestine molestation. God doesn't predestine any kind of sin you can imagine. God is God, but God knows it's going to happen. Now, if you're confused, hang with me. They're saying here in, 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 this, in this verse, in the New American Standard, that these people, their names were in the Lamb's Book of Life, from the foundation of the world. But let me give you an alternate reading. There are several translations that translate it, what I believe is correctly, and the NIV is one of them, all right? Let me just read to you the New International Version, Revelation 13, verse 8. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the foundation. Do you see the difference? This is not now that their names were written down from the foundation of the world, but that Jesus was the slain sacrificial Lamb of God from the foundation. In other words, it was always God's purpose and always God's plan to redeem you through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at me. Before sin was in the heart of man, salvation was in the heart of God. God in His foreknowledge, I know this is heavy stuff, God in His foreknowledge was looking for, knew what Adam and Eve would do, knew what all of us would do, and said, I am going to have a way of salvation even before they sin. He is the Son of God who is slain from the foundation of the world. That's what it means. That's what it means. That's what it means. And then notice, he says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him, except for those who have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. If you have repented of your sins, believed in Jesus, and received him as your Lord and Savior, your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. If you have not, it's not there. I want to say this to you. You need to get your name in that book before we leave Bellevue today, all right? It really doesn't matter where your name is if your name's not in that book. Oh, I've got my name on a will. Man, when that person dies, I'm going to get a lot of money. Who cares? Because you're going to die too. And you may die before them and not get a penny of it. But here's the deal. You need your name not on some fancy uh, lawyer's uh, place out there to give you some money when somebody dies. You need your name in the Lamb's book of life. And the only way to get that is to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's what you need. And then he says in verse 9, I can almost hear my daddy, Edgar Gaines, speaking here. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Daddy wouldn't say it like that. He said, boy, do you hear what I'm saying to you? There's the Dyersburg translation. Hey, do you hear what I'm saying to you? If anyone has ear, let him hear. And again, verse 10, I think, I love the New American Standard most of the time. I think they mess this verse up. They confuse it to me. I, I can't even hardly understand it. I've read it a hundred times. I can't even hardly understand verse 10, but I do understand it in another translation. I'll give it to you in just a minute. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity goes. I get that. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. I don't get that. Here's the perseverance and the faith of the saints. I don't get that. I got a PhD and I don't understand it. 
I'm not saying I'm all-knowing, but I'm saying I've, I've, I've been in class a long time. I don't understand that verse, but I do understand it when I read it out of the NIV. Now listen, if anyone is, go, is to go to captiv- into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Now here's what he's saying. You guys that wait to get saved during the Great Tribulation, a bunch of you are going to be arrested. So if you get arrested, just go to jail for the name of Jesus. And a bunch of y'all are going to get martyred. If you wait to get saved until after the rapture during the Great Tribulation, so bear it like a man, bear it like a woman of God. If you're, going to be, if you're destined to be martyred, be martyred. Because they can overcome your body, but they can't take your soul. They can't take your spirit. They can kill the body, but they can't take your soul. That's what he means. That's what he means. You say, Brother Steve, is it going to get better? Things are going to get better? Nope, they're going to get worse, gloriously worse. Dr. Rogers said it's getting gloriously dark. That's what it's going to be. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. How many of you think we're going through very difficult times right now? Anybody? That's why I say I believe the Lord could come back at any moment. So what are we supposed to do if we're persecuted? Rejoice! What did Jesus say in the Beatitudes? Matthew 5, 10 and following. Blessed, happy are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. Happy are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets like Daniel who were before you. He said, well, not me. I'm going to defend myself. If they come and persecute me, I'm going to have guns ready for them. I'm all for guns to protect you from outlaws. But look at me. When it comes down to persecution for the name of Jesus, you're not supposed to fight that. You're supposed to surrender and just be a lamb of God and lay yourself out on the altar if they're doing it to persecute you because you're a Christian. Because God will give vengeance. You don't take vengeance when they're coming after you as a Christian. Paul said it in Romans 12, 19, never take your own revenge. I know you might choke on that, but read it out with me. Read it out loud. Never take your own revenge. I don't think anybody was reading. Can we do it one more time? Never take your own revenge. Now listen, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. God is a lot more exacting judge than you will ever be or I will ever be. It is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Christians, Let's just rejoice in the sovereignty of His protection. Oh, we're living in hard times, but harder times are coming. We're living in times of injustice, but worse injustice is coming. We're living in time of pandemics and sickness, but there are pandemics coming that will make COVID-19 look like child's play. We live in times of chaos, but worse chaos is coming. You know what we're having right now? Birth pains. I have never birthed a baby, obviously, but I've seen it happen four times, and I don't want any part of it. Amen? 
I've seen that gal back there in birth pains. And what we're experiencing right now in our culture, in our world, are spiritual birth pains. Jesus talked about them in Matthew 24. He said, and you will hear of wars, threats of wars. Don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes, pandemics, by the way, in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. If you think now is bad, just wait till the great tribulation. Can I give you one more thing and we'll be through? I'm coming. I want to show you what happens to the Antichrist in the end. Just look on the screen and let's read it together. Revelation 19, 20. Everybody read it with me. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet, we'll hear about him next week, who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast. We'll study that next week. And those who worshiped his image, these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. Hey, in the end, we win. Amen. We win with Jesus. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Let's all stand up. And we're going to worship the Lord. But before we do that, before we sing, we came in here singing, we're going out here singing. And I want to ask you, would you, would you even now do what it takes to get your name in the Lamb's book of life? And that is repent of your sins and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you'd like to do that, I want to lead you in a prayer just like I would lead a young couple in their wedding vows, I want to lead you to repent of your sins, to believe in Jesus, and to receive Him as your Lord and Savior. Let's just bow our heads just for a moment. And if you want to be saved, just like this girl was saved online, she was watching online, and she got saved, now she got baptized, you can get saved right here. Don't leave here unless you know that you know that your name is in the Lamb's book of life, all right? Father, I just pray that right now they will repent and believe and receive you even now in Jesus' name. Pray something like this. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. I am a sinner. I want to be saved right now. I repent of my sin. I turn from my selfishness, and I turn to you. I believe that you died on the cross and paid my sin debt. I believe you rose from the dead and you're alive. I receive you right now. I call on your name. Save me right now, Jesus Christ. And now by faith, I trust you that I am a Christian. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's thank God for those who just got saved. Amen. Amen.